Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Be here. I don't barely recognise anybody, um, but great to be among you. What's special uh, for me today, if I can just pop that there, is um, it is. F- so this is like anniversaries today, isn't it? It's forty years. This week, I think this month, definitely, that the church here in Amersham, so this was really been Amersham Christian Fellowship, baptized me as a young, raw, 17, I was going to say seven-year convert, but 17-year-old I was at the time, 17-year-old convert. Uh, Ralph St. John, some of you will remember Ralph, Baden Elder, my dear friend, who I think, I'm sure is joining us on live stream, are giving the dubious task of dunking me under the water. Kept me down for a long time, I seem to remember. But <laughs> The vo- most vivid memory I have of that occasion as a very confused, pretty broken 17-year-old was feeling absolutely clean. I cannot even begin to describe to you how I felt when I came out of the waters of baptism. And it was along the lines of what Peter says, baptism saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the appeal of a good conscience, a clean conscience before God, and I knew that. What a gift Jesus gives to us. I have to confess, I've since lost my baptismal card, which given that we'll have to produce these documents when we get to heaven, no we won't. (laughs) But I do remember, and by the way, this is not a trip down memory lane today. I do actually feel I've got a word for you. I do remember my baptismal verse. I can even see it in my mind's eye now. And as a celebration of that event, so in that sense you can indulge me, but I hope is a very relevant, hope is a a timely message for you. I'd like this to be my text this morning. And it's... Wait for it. Philemon, verse 6. Well, of course, you all know that verse. Where is Philemon? (laughs) Philemon, verse 6. If we could have it on the um, PowerPoint. So this this was the New International Version, which had just come out around about that time. I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith so that you may have an understanding of every good gift we have in Jesus Christ. Now, it's not the most famous verse that you could ever think of. It's not one that's easy to find. I always love to announce the book of Philemon. It's a bit like announcing the book of Jonah or the book of Ruth. You see everybody go, well, in the days when people would have actual Bibles rather than their tablets, and they'd be flicking around, and they'd look into their neighbors and say, where is it? Where is it? Old Testament, New Testament. And... It was the one that was given to me. And as I look back on how the Lord has led me in my life, we had 10 years when we left, I had 10 years after that baptism and then came back, as you know, I had 10 years, 11 years here, wonderful years here, as my first role as a, as a pastor. You were very gracious to me. Um, you know, I look back, I think, wow. In a way, it was something of a prophecy, a bit like when I was born, I was born at, at uh, 
St. Teresa's convent uh, hospital, by the way, not the convent, at the hospital. <laughs> and the nurse handed me to my mother and said, we can't do anything with his hair, which has been the case ever since. And the other nurse apparently said, but this one will be on the stage. So I thought, well, maybe that was a prophecy. I don't know. When I think of what happened in my life. The only problem with all of this is that verse 6, and I'm not going to be a smart aleck this morning. But verse 6 of Philemon is not, and that particular translation is not actually what it means. It's not actually about sharing one's faith in the manner of, you know, personal evangelism or preaching from a pulpit or something like that. It's about something that is also, was also, from day one in my Christian experience, absolutely central and has become more and more important over the years and still something that I reflect on deeply. And that is what it means to be part of a Christian community. The word in that verse, without going into all, all of it, is the word, the very rich word, kononia. Some of you will translate that as fellowship, as the body of Christ. What it means, I'll explain it in a moment, what it means to be, and particularly in the context of Philemon, what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. What it means to not simply belong to one another, which was from day one my experience. I mean, I can't, that was overwhelming for me. but actually identifying with one another. Like Paul says in the letter to the Romans, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep and finding yourself, as we've just heard this just now, connected to the body of Christ, belonging to the body of Christ, being the body of Christ. Which is not to say, you know, that translation of verse 6 about sharing one's faith in evangelism is going to do you harm. It's not like it's a heresy, right? And if you want to read that verse like that, read it like that and you'll get blessed because it is plainly true if you share, can anyone put that on? If you share your faith in Jesus Christ, you get a blessing, Yeah? Is that true? Yeah? I mean, I'm rubbish at one-to-one -one evangelism, believe it or not. I'm terrible at it. Some of you are brilliant at it. It's your gift. I'm rubbish at it. I just go clam up. I think, what am I supposed to say? Maybe it's the preacher in me. I don't want to just sort of take off, you know, in the middle of a shopping center or whatever. And I, was in a, I was actually at the train station in Guildford the other day, and this lovely woman at the checkout, West Indian woman, I, now I thought she said, you can have this for free. So as I'm going up to the checkout, I said, I said something, and then, and then it obviously was not what she said. So I said, oh, I thought you said I could have this for free. And she said, nothing's for free in this world. I mean, she said it with a smile. To which I said, well, I can't pass that by. I said, I'm a, you're talking to a Christian preacher. And then she beamed this lovely smile, and she said, oh, yes. Love is for free. And we got chatting or whatever. The person behind me was getting very irritated. 
but we got blessed. And it was a blessing. I walked away from that. You get a blessing, don't you? So if that's how you want to translate that verse, translate that verse that way. You'll get a blessing. But the real meaning of verse 6, and it's, it's filled out in the letter, which is a very short letter. How many verses? 25 verses. It's not about personal evangelism or sharing your faith. It's about Paul, the Apostle Paul, wanting his friend Philemon, back in Colossae, to come into a fuller understanding of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ, to enter into the fullness of it, under the full measure. More specifically, to go from a very weak understanding, which Paul suspects he has, of what it means to be part of this fellowship, into a fuller understanding, a little bit like Paul says to the Ephesians, and some of you will know this verse very, very well, that you, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we reach the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what the ministries are for. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, so that we might come to a full understanding of the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And together we grow up into Him, unto Him, who is Jesus Christ. Yeah? And that comes through all sorts of things, worship. Well, by the way, Ben and the team, thank you so much this morning. Oh, so lovely to come to a church. I don't have any responsibilities here. Just a blessing. And enlarging, doesn't it? Enlarges our sense of the person of Jesus Christ, the fullness of Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ in the body of Christ. And he's praying, he's praying in verse 6 of Philemon. You may turn to it now. He's praying that Philemon might come into a deeper understanding of that. Now, some of the translations in this bit, I'm not going to get too technical and I'm not going to get... I'm not going to spend too long on this, but if you're interested to follow it up, some of the translations get near to it. The RSV says that the sharing of your faith may promote the knowledge of all that is all good that is in ours and Jesus in Christ. Uh, The next ESV, I pray the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now this is interesting. This gets a little bit closer to it. That your fellowship with us In our common faith, that's the word koinonia, our fellowship, our our togetherness, may deepen the understanding of all the blessings that our union with Christ brings us. And then, I want to just give this one, Bishop Tom Wright. He unpacks this a little bit further, like a paraphrase. And sorry if it's a little bit long-winded, and I've lost you already, but let's just stick with this. I'm praying, so he's praying now. And he's writing this to Philemon, his friend. I am praying that the mutual participation, which is proper to the Christian faith you hold, may have its full effect in your realization of every good thing that God is accomplishing in us to lead us into the fullness of Christian fellowship that is of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Evelyn. Always rely on Evelyn to give an amen. Thank you. I've preached to Evelyn. <laughs> and you know, when you read the letter as a whole, it doesn't take long, it takes about 25 verses. It is plainly obvious that this is what verse 6 means. 
in this little letter. Because the whole thrust of this letter, the whole context of this letter, and where is it? Stuck between Titus and Hebrews. It is all about relationships. It is all about, in particular, the relationship of Paul's friend, Philemon, and his runaway slave, Onesimus, who, having run away from Philemon, has obviously encountered Paul somewhere in Asia on one of Paul's big evangelistic campaigns. He's come to faith in Jesus Christ, and now he's wanting to return back to his master, Philemon. That's what this little letter is about. And you say to yourself, well, why is that even in the Bible? How did that get in the canon of Scripture? Because the issue that Paul is raising here with his friend Philemon is not simply whether Philemon will receive Onesimus back and forgive him for running away, which is, which is one thing. But whether, whether Paul will receive him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. Whoa. Now that's important. That's powerful. That's to do with the nature of our relationships. That's to do with the nature of the body of Christ. That's to do with what happens when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ and they become a new creation. And you join a community of people who are new creations in Jesus Christ. This is really important. And it's important because, of course, one of the things that Paul taught this church in Colossae, and he mentions it also in Galatians, is that the Christian community is a new society. It's a new creation. It's a window. I mean, I got this when I first came here 40 years ago. It's a window on a new world in which all the barriers, all the, uh, the, the, the demarcations between, uh, how does Paul put it, between Jew and Greek, male, female, slave, free, barbarian, citizen, all of these uh, barriers that we put up in our world are obliterated through Jesus Christ. Is that true? And it stands to reason that they're obliterated in Jesus Christ, that they don't count for anything anymore. Because, because when we come to Jesus Christ, we all come on the same ticket. We all come to Jesus Christ, whether we're black, white, whether we are, you know, publicly school educated, whatever educated, whatever income we come, we have, whatever badges that we carry, we all come to Jesus Christ by grace through faith. Yeah? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Not one of us can boast. We all come on the same ticket. Praise God. The grace of Jesus Christ. And we lean our whole lives on that and our, when we put our trust in that. Yeah. I'm still recovering from 40 years ago. I mean, when I saw that, 
when the preacher preached that message, I didn't go away thinking, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. I thought, wow, this is hope. Number one, he's telling me the truth about myself. He's not flattering me. And secondly, he's giving me hope. <laughs> that God in Jesus Christ has made all things new. And we all come. So there's no distinction, Paul. I mean, yeah, we're there's Jews, there's Greeks, there's men. We haven't lost those distinctions still. <laughs> but we're all one. We, we come together equally. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's, if you've never heard that message before, this is an offer to you this morning. To receive it. To be made new. So for Paul, this is a huge issue. This is a massive issue. How Philemon handles this situation that Paul is bringing to his attention will determine, will tell us whether he has a mature understanding, verse 6, of what it is to be a part of the body of Christ, the unity of the church, or whether he is still, as is so sadly often the case, whether he is still floundering in the shallows and whether the church is still captive to the principalities and the powers of this world, which sadly sometimes is all too painfully true. We just reflect the world's attitudes rather than growing up into him who is Jesus Christ. And this is, I just think this is hugely important. I regard Philemon now today, verse, these 25 verses of this little letter, as the, one of the great jewels in the whole of the Scriptures. Everything's at stake here in what Paul does next. Or rather, sorry, in what Philemon does next. In how he receives Onesimus back. Not just forgiving him, but in verse 16, is it? No longer as a slave, but better as a slave, as a dear brother. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And in this way, demonstrating that the gospel of reconciliation is not just vertical. Wonderful that that is. God in Jesus Christ has reconciled us to himself, but reconciling all things to himself, including our relationships to one another. Brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and so on. I mean, that was my experience. And I cannot tell you how overwhelming that was to discover on day one of my conversion that I had a family, mothers, brothers. Stunning. And Paul is praying that you, that we might grow in our understanding, in our realization of the truth of that. Now this begs a question. Why didn't Paul who's received this slave and he's seen him converted, why didn't Paul just release him from slavery? 
Why didn't Paul campaign for the abolition of slavery? Like Wilberforce did so many centuries later. Why didn't he order all Christian slave owners to release their slaves? Bearing in mind what an evil practice this was and still is in many parts of the world. Why didn't Paul protest and campaign against this dehumanizing practice or form of um, society? Is it because Paul somehow saw that, well, this is just the way the world is, you can't change it? God forbid. No, he didn't think that at all. Paul was committed to the new creation, the new life, the new world that is ushered in through Jesus Christ. Paul was also a realist. He understood as much as he longed for a new creation, he understood that in so many ways to Way against slavery at this point would have been totally impractical. He was a realist. Somebody said it would be like today telling everybody to dismantle all their mortgages and properties and, and whatever. It's just impossible. It's just not going to happen, is it? Think of the chaos. Paul does something far more subtle, far more powerful, far more Jesus like. He sows a seed. Remember that? Little mustard seed. A little explosive suggestion. A little bit of yeast in a batch of dough that over time just grows and grows and grows. And, and then suddenly the world is a different place because of the power and the truth of the gospel. as a letter or as a, as a method of bringing about change in a community, this is an object lesson in how to bring about change. We could spend a whole morning just on that. This is Paul at his very best as a leader. This is Paul, and he says it in the letter, not lording it over his friend Philemon to do as he tells him to do, Not insisting or imposing his will on Philemon, his friend, to get him to do what he wants him to do, but rather to appeal to him out of love. He says that, doesn't he? I appeal to you on the basis of love. He appeals to him on the basis of what he understands it is, what it is to be part of a Christian community. He appeals to him wanting to get his consent because he knows if he can get his consent, then everything is possible. Oh, it's powerful stuff. Takes longer, takes a lot longer. But it's worth it. To get people's hearts engaged. Philemon's heart engaged. Get him to see what Paul is on about. That if you receive him back as a brother, what then? Oh, what then? Sky's the limit. And then, 
it may well be that Philemon will be able to lead his community into a richer, deeper, fuller understanding of what it is to be in fellowship with one another. You might want to read through the letter. We should have read through the letter probably right at the beginning. You might want to read through the letter. Um, So beautiful. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Philemon, listen to the language. My dear friend. My dear friend and fellow worker. Philemon's prayers uh, for the saints of God. There's a lost word, isn't there? The saints. When's the last time you called each other by that description? Well, I'd never do that. Well, you probably wouldn't, but just think about it. We're saints. Made holy. Saint Paul. Yeah? Saint Jane. Lovely. And yeah. <laughs> Saint Ben. I mean, seriously. The richness. Onesimus, no longer a slave, no longer brother. Beautiful. And then Paul, of course, what about that? His relationship to Onesimus, a son to a father. These are all little images waiting to be fully unpacked and explored in our lives, aren't they? And you know the richness of this, when you encounter it, when you experience it. I was with somebody the other day, and wow, what riches, what riches to be part of the body of Christ. We need to recover this. We've gone through a very difficult last two years, haven't we? And we're in a society now that is increasingly fragmenting and and, and individualistic. And so how, by the Spirit, do we recover what it is to be part of the body of Christ? That I'm not just part, well, I'm just going to the meeting. No, I'm, I'm part of this community. I belong to this community. This is where I discover the riches. Some of you know... Um, well, some of, most of you probably don't, but some of you know uh, I wrote a, a book this last year, challenging. I couldn't find a publisher to publish it, <laughs> so I, I stuck it on Amazon as an ebook. That was an interesting experience. Challenging some of the narratives in the last couple of years. I'm not going to talk about that this morning. Don't worry. I, I, I realized I realized I really, 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 really am a dissenter this last couple of years. And I uh, just wanted to throw some questions out because I've been mightily concerned about, particularly about the relationship of the church and the state, but that's not for this morning. I reflect about things even to do with Black Lives Matter because I, I, it strikes me as a historian, as much as anything, that Black Lives Matter has a very different agenda to, let's say, the work of Martin Luther King, one of my great heroes, and the whole thing of justice and reconciliation. And I want to close this morning by telling you a story that comes out of the 1960s. Comes out of a community called, it was called the Koinonia community. And it was run, it was led by a very um, remarkable man. Oh, it's not a very good, um, I just did that very quickly this morning. Uh, Clarence Jordan, who led this community. Now, this was an interracial black-white community in the 1960s in the deep south of America. So you can imagine this was pioneering. 
and received a lot of opposition. And sadly, from some Christian churches as well. He was a remarkable man, and he knew Martin Luther King. Now, the story goes um, that in one winter, they ran out of gas. That's topical. <laughs> and the community, which was about, I think, about 100 people strong at that point, um, were in a desperate situation. And uh, Clarence reached out to his brother, Robert, who was a senator and could pull some strings, as senators can. And he asked Robert whether it was possible, would it be possible for them to supply cheap gas to get them through the winter, to which his brother Robert said, I can't do that. You know my aspirations. I might lose my job, my house, everything I've got. Clarence, we might lose everything too. Robert says, it's different for you. Oh, says Clarence, in what way is it different? <laughs> you and I joined the same church, the church, the same Sunday as boys. The preacher asked, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? What did you say? Robert replied, I followed Jesus up to a point. Could that point by any chance be the cross, says Clarence? Yeah, I follow him to the cross, but not on the cross. I'm not getting myself crucified. Then I don't believe that you are a disciple of Jesus, says Clarence. You are an admirer of Jesus, but you are not a disciple of Jesus. You ought to go back to that church you belong to and tell them that you are an admirer of Jesus, but you are not a disciple of Jesus. Oh. Well now, says Robert, if everyone like me did that, we wouldn't have a church, would we? To which Clarence delivered the killer punch. He says, yes, the question is, do you have a church? What kind of a church is it? That doesn't embrace by the power of the Spirit and by the grace of Jesus Christ all who come. Jew, Greek, black, white, slave, free, male, female. All. All and and through that, learn to be, by the power of the Spirit, this one person in Jesus Christ. I've been wrestling with that question for 40 years. I have to admit. And sometimes I have to confess, and, and this is not a comment on anything, but just general scene, sometimes I have to confess that I've wondered whether simply we've ended up as a, well, just a social club or a, or a, or a, or a country club, worse still, <laughs> or, or a leisure activity, which is what the government would have us be. Why, 
What does it mean to be part of the community of Jesus Christ? And then other times, many times, and I can think of many times here, right back to the beginning, you get a glimpse, more than a glimpse, and you think, wow, that is radical. That is radical, what God is doing. I'm going back. I'm away this morning from Millmead, and I go back. Um, and just this weekend, it's Chinese New Year. We've had 20 Hong Kong families turn up in our church this last year, coming from Hong Kong from that situation, very traumatized, and have decided to rock up in our church. And we have a lot of mainland Chinese families in our church as well. Those two groups don't tend to get on with each other at the moment. And I was in our cafe this week watching the Hong Kong families and the Chinese families coming together to make mooncakes that they're going to be giving away after the service this morning and I'm not going to be there. And I think, wow, God is at work. And I look around this morning and I think, God is at work. And it's wonderful. And I thank God. I thank God so much that there's a broken down, confused, fairly morose 17-year-old. God plucked many of us out. My dear friend Andy, who's joining us, so he tells me, on live stream this morning, in his pajamas, <laughs> with his dear wife. We just thank God. And the best days are yet to come. I truly, truly believe that. Hardest days, perhaps, we've ever experienced, but the best days. May God bless his word to you. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.